along with our scripture reading this morning, we have a couple of special Advent things that we want to do. This morning we light this candle in anticipation of the coming Savior. We also have on our tree some uh, ornaments, some pictures really of the promised Messiah. We talked about them last year during our Christmas season and we're continuing this season to talk more about those pictures that come from the Old Testament of the coming Savior. Terry Junt has made these leather ornaments for us and this morning Zachary Bowser is going to come as I read scripture and he's going to hang uh, a picture of that comes from the book of Genesis, a picture of the tree. And so this morning we're going to read from Genesis chapter 3 together. And following that, the children will be dismissed for children's church, but we wanted them to be a part of this reading as well. And so we're going to read from Genesis chapter 3. Zachary Bowser is going to come and hang an ornament on the tree as I do that. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent has more, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say to you, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your trees will be open, your eyes will be opened, And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was made to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. When the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. The children may be dismissed to Children's Church in the Youth Center this morning. The Old Testament is full of the promises of God. Promises that, as we've already said this morning, center in Christ. I hope there's times when you just stop and say, Lord, I'm grateful I live now. Grateful I live in a time when Jesus has come and I can see the fulfillment of those promises in him and look back and understand in ways that those who were looking ahead could.
couldn't fully comprehend, couldn't fully grasp. I just this week stopped for a minute to just thank God as I was preparing for this, to, to thank him that I live in this day when, when the word Jesus means something to me and I understand who he was and when he lived and how he died and was raised from the dead. The history and the, and the picture of God's people has always been a picture of waiting. Young people here this morning and old people here this morning. The people of God have always been awaiting people. In the Old Testament, they were waiting to see the fulfillment of promises that were being made. We continue in this New Testament time to wait the full, the full accomplishment of the kingdom. It's come, but not fully. Now and not yet of the kingdom is where we live. Jesus brought in the kingdom, but it hasn't been fully consummated yet. So God's people have always been awaiting people. So the, the series that we're going to start here today and talk about today is, is the yes of the promises in Christ. And look at these Old Testament promises. And then, as I've already said, I hope that our response will be that we will say amen and yes to those promises and living those out as we wait for the consummation of the kingdom. The promise this morning comes to us from Genesis chapter 3. We've read it right in the beginning. In fact, it is the first hint, the first hint of hope in the Old Testament after the fall, after the curse has come and the curse has been cast upon man because of his sin. There's that hint of hope that you find in the words that were read this morning, those words that say, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Can you imagine? Can you imagine those words being heard in that time? How confusing they must have been, and yet there had to be a hint of hope in them that something was going to happen. It's the beginning of the Scripture saying that a Messiah and a Savior is coming. God is going to bring a solution to the dilemma of the curse. And right here in Scripture, we begin to see it. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at that. I want to break it down a bit. We understand that this curse brought it, was brought about <clears throat> by the sin of man because they were tempted by Satan in the garden. We don't know everything about how Satan came into being, but we do know some things. We know that he was a created angel and that a great host of those angels that were created by God at one point rose up in rebellion. They weren't content to live under the authority of God and they began to come and usurp or attempt to usurp the authority of God. In the book of Jude, we read these words, and the angels did not stay within their position of authority, but they wanted to be in authority over God. And that's, that's what caused the fall. The initial part of the fall as those angels were fallen, created beings that God had created. And so one of those angels, the chief of them, Satan, comes to Adam and Eve in the garden and tempts her. And there we find the story of the fall and the story of the curse, the curse that was cast upon all mankind, all men, because all have sinned, all sinned in Adam and have sinned themselves. And so that curse is upon them. But here we hear the hint of hope that someone will come who will bruise 
your head, the head of the serpent, even as the serpent bruises his heel. Again, we're going to break that down. We're going to start with the very first part of that and begin to talk about what does it mean that the serpent is going to bruise the heel of this promised one. This week as I was preparing, I came across something that Donald Gray Barnhouse had written and I I thought for a moment to take it and tell you about what he had written and then I paused and realized that what he has written is written better than I can say it, better than I can paraphrase it. And so I want you to listen to his account of what that bruising of the heel meant. Begin to see how Satan from the very beginning came after the Savior, came after Christ, and continually came after him until at a point he was allowed to bruise his heel. Listen to how he writes it. When the Lord Jesus Christ was born, Satan's hatred came to white heat. We can see the hatred of Satan at every point in the early earthly story of the life of the Lord. Joseph was moved to cast off Mary because he knew that she had not been his wife as yet and drew the natural conclusion that there was sin on her part. But the Lord manifested himself and Joseph accepted Mary because of this divine revelation. The child of promise, the seed of the woman, the branch of David was born, the eternal word was made flesh. Satan moved Herod to kill all the babies from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. But God had arranged escape in advance and had brought gifts of gold to the family of the young child so that a flight into Egypt was made possible. At 12 years of age, he was left behind in Jerusalem among the followers of Satan and the enemies of God. The child was growing up before the father as a tender plant, and the heavenly care was about him. As soon as our Lord was publicly manifested, Satan immediately confronted him and sought in three temptations to turn him aside from the path laid down for him in the councils with the father. When he had been routed with the sword of the word, Satan left the Lord, but returned again and again both personally and through the religious leaders who had become veritable children of the devil to destroy the Lord before he could come to the hour of the cross. It was Satan who stirred up the people of Nazareth to take Christ to the brow of the hill and thrust him to his death on the occasion of his first public sermon. He had announced the doctrine of salvation by grace apart from works on the basis of the sovereign will of God. And the heart of man rebelled against it and turned easily to the enemy who would exalt the flesh. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Again and again, Satan played the old plot with different scenes and characters. Sometimes they picked up stones to stone him. They sent officers to arrest him. Their leaders attempted to incite the people against him. Always the nerve of their action was paralyzed. Their desire was that of the carnal mind, which is enmity against God. Now, for the first time in history, God was visibly before them as an object of their hatred. They were the sons of those who had killed the prophets, but they themselves 
would have killed their God. He described them fully in the parable of the tenants who killed the messengers and when the owner, last of all, sent his son, cried, this is the heir, come, let us kill him. He was master of every situation. That's key as you listen to this. He was master of every situation. He said, Jesus said, no man taketh it, my life, from me, but I lay it down of myself. When human allies failed, Satan moved directly to kill the Son of God. On one occasion, the Lord's disciples were with him in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. They were lifelong fishermen who were in their home waters. They had thought that there was not a wave that could be unfamiliar to them, but suddenly a storm of such fury broke out that even the hardened mariners were chilled with fright. They rushed to the Lord as he lay asleep in the boat and roused him with their cry of anguish as they deemed themselves on the point of death. Master, save us. We perish. The gospel narrative states that the Lord arose at the call of the frightened disciples and rebuked the wind. Let the deniers of Scripture realize that if Satan were not behind the power of the storm, then the action of Christ must be compared to that of a child who, hurt by stumbling against a chair, begins to kick at the chair, crying out with petulance against it. But if we understand that Satan had raised the storm to kill Jesus, we see the whole pattern of these attacks and understand the force of the words addressed to the storm. Remember those words? Jesus declared, peace, be still. The verb in the Greek means to muzzle. And the ancient domestic life was sometimes addressed to a dog to silence him. Finally, Satan was able to bruise his heel. He was permitted to bruise his heel. James Montgomery comments, he says, We know how the bruising of the Lord Jesus Christ took place. It happened at the cross. And Satan finally succeeded, so it seemed, at striking back at God and silencing his meddling in human affairs forever. It was bruising with a vengeance. It included the hatred of the religious leaders, the mocking of the crowds, the beating, eventually the crucifixion with its great agony. And yet it was only a bruising, only a bruising, not a defeat. For on the third day after the crucifixion, Jesus rose from the tomb triumphantly. This is the part that was so insightful. He goes on to say this, On the other hand, although Satan achieved what he believed to be true victory, it proved to be a Pyrrhic victory. You know what that is, don't you? It's a victory in battle where, where two enemies come together, and one wins the battle. They win the battle, but they spent so much winning the battle that ultimately they lose the war. They put so many resources in it that it costs them ultimately in the long run. That's what a Pyrrhic victory is. A seeming win that causes you to lose. So it proved to be a Pyrrhic victory. For his power over us was broken. Satan's power over us was broken in that striking of the heel. 
I do not know precisely. This, this is the insightful part that really caught me. I do not know what Satan was thinking of as he finally achieved his goal of having Christ crucified. But I am sure, but I'm sure he had at least forgotten this prophecy or else had dismissed it as applying to other times and circumstances. He failed to see how even his moment of triumph was to be turned to defeat in accord with the prophecy. Can't you see how that would be? Sometimes we think of Satan as powerful, and he is. He's a roaring lion, seeking who he might devour. Yet, he's not all-knowing. He doesn't understand all things. He's not God. He's a created being. Powerful, yes. Worthy of respect, yes. But not all-knowing. And somehow, he had forgotten the prophecy, or didn't know what the prophecy meant. Didn't understand that what he was doing, what he was doing was being allowed. In fact, it was God's intent from the beginning. John Gerstner declares, Satan was majestically triumph in this battle. He had nailed Jesus to the cross. The prime object of all his striving through all the ages was achieved, but he failed. For the prophecy which had said that he would indeed bruise the seed of the woman had also said that his head would be crushed by Christ's heel. Thus, while Satan was celebrating his triumph and battle over the Son of God, the full weight of the atonement accomplished by the crucifixion which the devil had effected came down on him. And he realized all this time So far from successfully battling against the Almighty, he had actually been carrying out the purposes of an all-wise God. Satan's only true power, quite unlike his pretensions to power, comes from the character of God that declares that sin must be punished. Satan's power consists in working within the limits of that character. He reasoned that if he could get the man and the woman to sin, which he did, The wrath of God against sin must inevitably come down on them. God's good designs would be thwarted. What Satan failed to see and what no one else ever clearly saw before the death of Christ is how God could put both just, could be both just and justifier of the ungodly, it tells us in Romans 3. He failed to see how Jesus would take the place of sinners bearing their punishment, and how Satan would have his power broken in the process. Finally, Satan was allowed to bruise the heel. The key again, he was allowed. He was allowed to bruise the heel of the sun because it fulfilled the purposes of God. The most horrific injustice that was ever perpetrated on another. That's not an overstatement. That's not hyperbole. The most horrific injustice perpetrated on another was the cross. And Satan was allowed to do it because it fulfilled the purposes of God that we could be both that he could be both just and justifier 
of those who have faith in the Son. God's justice was upheld because the penalty was extracted in the Son for all who believe. That's the gloriousness of the gospel. It's the thing that Satan didn't understand until after the fact. Jesus said, remember, I read it. Jesus said, no man taketh, no man, neither Satan taketh my life from me, but I lay it down by myself. It would be God's agenda. It would be God's plan. It would be God's timing. And yes, the son's heel would be bruised to accomplish glorious things. It's all centers in the cross. Now, what I want to do for just a few moments and then we're going to come to the table is say this. Satan's doom is sure. It was made sure in the cross. One day all evil will be banished from the earth. All evil will be gone. But not fully yet. The decisive blow has been made. But we still live now in a time which theologians call the now and not yet of the kingdom. It's come. The decisive action of him bruising the heel has happened, but not fully here yet. Not all of the effects of it are among us. We live in a time. We live in the now and not yet. And so evil still comes upon man. Satan's doom is sure. But for a while, his fury is great. So how do we live in that? How do we live in that? Again, you see, in the Old Testament, I said they had to live always waiting. So do we. Because we live in the now and not yet of the kingdom. We know the decisive blow has been laid, but we, we still have a time to wait now. How will we wait? How will we wait in light of the promise that one day all evil will be banished? Here's some suggestions that I would say to you of ways that we live in the midst of an age that is not yet fully consummated. First of all, don't get surprised by evil. We just don't get surprised by it. One of the, one of the heartaches of my heart, one of the things that causes me to, to take pause, maybe as much as anything else in this life, is when some horrific thing happens, some horrific tragedy because of the brokenness of our world in, in happens and occurs in, in our world is immediately what happens is somebody wants to stick a microphone in front of someone who says they believe in God and ask why. I cringe at times when that happens. I cringe more at, at the majority of the answers that come. I understand sometimes they're put on the spot. They haven't had time to prepare. But some of those answers are not biblical. It's as though they treat God as he had... He, he oversees a world that's out of control and stuff happens that catches him by surprise. One of the things that I hope we saw and we see in the most horrific injustice in, in one sense that ever occurred in the world was that God, God 
wasn't asleep, but his purposes were being fulfilled. And I know there's mystery in that. There's mystery in that. And, and hard, hard questions that maybe one day will get answered. And maybe they won't need to be. But it is much more scary to me to think that there is a world and there are things in this world that we have a God who can do nothing about at all. So we need, I think, to not be surprised by brokenness. Don't be surprised by it. It's part of what came with the curse. Satan continues to prowl around. Don't be surprised. Secondly, don't despair. Don't despair of it. Don't despair of it. Um, don't, don't lift your fist at God if it hits you. One of the tragedies of people who, who follow God and say they believe in God and, and worship God, something comes into their life and all of a sudden, bitterness rises up and they want nothing to do with God. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Let your, let your view of who God is and his sovereignty keep you from that. God is orchestrating all of the things that happen in our world. Nothing catches him. Nothing surprises him. He's not slumbering or sleeping. Is that the kind of God that you have, that you believe in, that you can rest in and trust? Thirdly, understand, and this is key, this is key. There are some things that we cannot answer. There is some pain in your life that you can't fully answer, I'm sure. And, and certainly, in, in one sense, ask why, but don't ask with a clenched fist. But one of the things that I think we have to understand is that in some way, in God's economy, in his all-knowingness, that his glory will be seen as brighter one day because of this period of time of the now and not yet. Somehow and in some way, God's glory will seen, be seen as more glorious in the midst of it. And hold on to that in the midst of things not making sense. And then finally, never doubt. If your hope is in God and all that he is for you in Christ, Never doubt, never doubt that he is totally for you in Christ. That he is not against you. He is not your enemy. One of the things that we sing often is he's given us a seat at the table. If, if we are in Christ, we will come in a moment to his table because we have a seat there. He is for us and not against us. His promises, as Paul would say, are not yes and no. They are yes to us. They are yes to us. He is for us and for our good and orchestrating things in his wisdom to that end. Don't ever let go of that. Continue to hold on to that. Never, never see what comes to you as, as an expression of God's wrath toward you. We sang this morning. I hope it catches you we sang two or three songs this morning that talked about the wrath of God no longer being against me. And it is not. It is never against his people. It is never 
directed at them. God loves his people. And though we have questions and we don't understand it all, God is our God and he will protect us because he's able to do it. Because there's nothing, nothing that comes to us without him knowing it. That's a hard doctrine, but it's true. It's, it's true. There's nothing that comes to us. And all things, the scripture says, work to the good of those who love God and are called according to purpose. They may not feel good, but that's the promise. That, you see, that's what it means when we say, and what I call you to this morning to say, to say, Amen to the fact that all of the promises are yes in Christ to you. Part of living out this time in the now and not yet, part of what we're called to do is to say amen to the promise. Amen to the promise that we find here in the book of Genesis. The promise that says to us, all evil will ultimately be banished. From the earth. We do now live in the now and not yet, but it one day will be gone and we'll see more clearly and understand things that we don't understand now. That's what it means in many ways to live as a person of faith. We trust the promises of God. We trust the promise that though Christ's heel was bruised, Satan's head crushed we're going to come to the table this morning and and I hope when you're coming your declaration is I'm going to say yes and amen to that promise of God and others that we'll talk about as we go along yes to the promises of God yes to the fact that Satan's head will be fully crushed one day in the sense of all evil will be banished from the earth. We have open communion in our fellowship. If you're visiting this morning, you need not be a member of this fellowship to come to this table. Actually, the elements will come to you, but you're welcome to partake of them if you can live under the invitation that we have in the bulletin and on the screen now. We just ask that you live under that and we welcome you to come and eat at the table with us this morning. The scripture says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he took the wine. And his declaration was, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in the remembrance, I think, that all of the promises are yes in me. Even the promise that all evil will be banished from the earth one day. Let's pray. Father, help us as we come to this table this morning. If, if we have been struggling with something in our lives, that Lord, if we've been living in many ways in, in unbelief, even though we say we believe in the unbelief that somehow God is against us, even though we've trusted Christ, I pray, Lord, that you will bring healing and help and that anew and afresh, we will affirm, we will affirm and say yes to your yes and trust you and walk with you 
even when we don't understand it all. We'll rest in your promise. Lord, help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for those to come who are going to help us to serve this morning. This represents to us the body of Christ, the body that was broken for us, the body that had to be broken for us, that the promise might be fulfilled. I invite you to hold the element we'll partake together. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. Jesus came 
as a man. We've talked about that at other times. He had to become fully man in order to come, that his heel might be struck, and that on a horizontal level, the greatest injustice man ever perpetrated on man was done to him. That's what that strike of his heel was about. It's what it was. And yet God, in his economy, used it that we can come and have hope here this morning. Take and eat. Be grateful. This represents the blood of Christ. Again, Jesus came in the flesh. He had blood in his veins. And the spilling of that blood accomplished banishment ultimately of evil one day. Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. in Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die, my soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in him he stands, no tongue can bid me thence 
depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. As you hold the cup, anticipation to drink the cup, the declaration, Lord, I'll wait. Help me to wait well. Help me as I wait to say yes to your promises as I trust them, as I trust you. You worked out your plan. Satan came again and again and again. But it wasn't until the timing was right, the timing of your choosing, you laid down your life. And oh, what glorious things it accomplished. I hope things like that help you to wait. Drink as you wait. Let's stand together. Father, we're not very patient people in many ways. We only have to pick up our smart devices and get antsy that the feed doesn't come quick enough. Lord, help us. Help us to be a people who will wait as your people have always waited. And we won't waver in our waiting. But we will trust your promises. Because the God who promised is faithful. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go in God's peace.